at the start of the week and busy old day on your radio. This is Playback Daily. I'm Carol Moran and here's what you might have missed. People down the country, and I'm from the country myself, right, have a pre- preconceived idea that... Please, yeah. are young in Ballymun, and that's wrong. There's so many good people in Ballymun. It's like people, people at the top in a, in a small circle are behaving in a way which they think is completely normal. Uh, but to everybody else on the outside, it looks rather privileged and full of uh, full of entitlement. You know, I really couldn't believe it at first. I wasn't really expecting to open up at such a fast time. So you broke your own record and you broke the Irish record? Yeah, so I broke the national record and it's actually also faster than the outdoor record. So that gives me a lot of confidence. And we'll start in the afternoon. A community worker in Ballymun, Mary Couch, called Joe on the live line about an incident that happened at the weekend and the way it was reported by the media. When you contacted me, I went into a, a news uh, machine to find out mm. what was written. These are the headlines. Traffic guard has part of finger bitten off after a vicious attack in... Ballymun. Guard yeah. hospitalised. This is from breakingnews.ie. Guard hospitalised with serious injuries after being assaulted in Ballymun. Man, 98 FM. Man due in court following assault on Garda in Ballymun. Yeah. Irish Examiner. Man charged with serious assault of Garda after Ballymun again. An incident, yeah. 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 Uh, 98 FM. Witness appeal after assault on Garda in. Ballymun again, yeah. Irish Times, Garda's finger partially bitten off during arrest in? Ballymun. Sunday World, great. No, great they got her right, Joe. They got they, her okay. right. Um, yeah, Gulliver's uh, Retail Park, Dublin 9. Okay, and then um, News Talk, I don't know, I'm sure RTE, if, if it was a statement from Garda Press Office, ran with it yeah, as well. Yeah, Garda, was. Was RTE, okay. We, we, mm. we, the Garda, the RTE News. The Irish Garda Independent is, had the same. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, now... The journal, in fairness, that guard is seriously assaulted in Santry during arrest. This is your, this is your, well, well make your point, Mary, as strongly My as you can. My point is that uh, this is irresponsible journalism, right? Ballymun has a bad name and the papers are never kind to us. Look at, they had notorious Ballymun. Well, no more notorious than any other area when the drugs are heroin was an epidemic in it, right? Yeah. There's good people working in Ballymun. Good people live in Ballymun. And this irresponsible journalism, it's not fair to the young people growing up who are getting stigmatised, getting that they can't mm-hmm. get a job, right? They need the, their proper place in society, these young people in Ballymun, right? And the irresponsible press is not helping. And this not the first time, Joe. Do you remember when your man got up on the, the roof of the autobahn and threw the slates down? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Hit the front pages of the Herald and all in Ballymun. Now, Ballymun was Ballymun Avenue one time, but the people didn't want to be any connection with Ballymun. It bought down the price of their houses and they changed to Glass Nevin Avenue. But then when it sold for the press, it was in Ballymun again. Not Glass Nevin Avenue, the autobahn is. And this is happening all the time. And, and where? But where did this incident happen? This incident happened in Gulliver's Retail Park. You go down Santry Lane, mm-hmm. right? I know, yeah. Yes. Dublin 9, you turn yeah. left, you go in, there's a huge big care home, there's high-rise office blocks, you drive down and then you come to the retail park. Nothing got to do with Ballymun at all. Absolutely nothing got to do with Ballymun. And where is where is the Gulliver Retail Park? It's when you drive down Santry Lane... No, but what is... The, sorry, I know that, but where, what is the address of it? 
Bally, uh, Dublin 9, Santry Dublin 9. I googled it and all to get me facts right. Well done, Joe. well done, yeah, as always. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, this this is um, the Garda statement, you see. Yes. This yes. See, it comes from the Garda. Garda, with, yeah. With, this is what was sent to all press offices, our newsrooms. Witness well, that's appeal. Wrong. Serious, wrong. serious assault of member of Angarda Shikana in Ballymun on the 24th no. of January. No. And Garda Shirkana responded to a call concerning an incident of dangerous driving at Gulliver's Retail Park, Ballymun. No, but uh, they should reissue a statement now and say it's not Ballymun, it's Santry Dublin 9, way away from Ballymun. Ballymun is Poppentry, Colgy, Shangan, all them places. Not, not Santry Dublin 9, Joe. And the Garda should reiterate now and issue a new well, statement. You see, well, you well, see, in fairness, the Garda you'd be saying... Um, the thing we the thing we we're, we're looking for witnesses because one of our members and one of our citizens was savagely assaulted. Yeah. So and okay, we, we and we were anxious to get the statement out. We thought uh, Gulliver's Retail Park was in the general area of Ballymun. Yeah, thought is not the right information though. You can think a lot of things, but you have to get your information right before you say it out loud and it's in the papers and in the media and all, Joe. This is a community that's getting vilified all the time, right? Mm -hmm. And someone has to stand up and say enough is enough, get the facts right. Proper journalism, responsible journalism. It's given, an, I mean, people down the country, and I'm from the country myself, right? Yeah. Originally from Kildare. They have a pre preconceived idea that these yeah. are young in Ballymun, and that's wrong. There's so many good people in Ballymun, right? Of course, yeah. And you know that, Joe. You were yeah. often out here and met us all. And it's not fair, this bad report and notorious, just to call it a notorious flat. It wasn't notorious. Well, we're neglected for years by Dublin City Council and Lords of these flats. It was a dumping ground. That's what happened. That's the history. Yeah. And now we're, it's repeated now, keeping us down, keeping us uh, with a dirty name. Oh, this mm -hmm. is Ballymun. And this does is it make, do, do you think it makes a difference? I do. It does, Joe. Does it, yeah. yeah. And Mary spoke about reactions she's had to being from Ballymun. I remember years ago, I was on a training course uh, down to Waterford, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, when you have to sit around the table and introduce yeah, oh, yourself yeah, and yeah, say yeah. where you're from. Course, so yeah. I stood up and said, I'm Mary Couch from Poppentry Environmental Project, right? Yeah. And this bloke said, uh, from Dunleary, actually, oh, I went through there uh, going to the airport on my bike and I still had the wheels when I got to the airport. You see, that's the image that's going out there, yeah. you know? And even on Google Earth, someone has pointed out to me, it's Gulliver's Retail Park, uh, Santry, Dublin Santry. 9. Santry, Santry, Dublin 9. That's the address, yeah. Nothing got to do with Ballymore. Come here, Joe. If you or I or anybody else was going from Ballymore for a bag of mesh just a little, you'd be banjacks again, you get back, I'm telling you. You know, mm. the walk, it's not Ballymore, it's Santry, Dublin 9. But I just wonder when when the Garda press office, you see, was it was it Gardaí from Ballymun who would cover that area? I know that doesn't answer. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to. Yeah, I know you're yeah. looking at the other side. Of the, the, yeah, but it's probably in their jurisdiction in it, in 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 the area to cover. But it's not Ballymun. Okay, you know? good point. Good yeah, point. Yeah, now, yeah. and Joe asked Mary about communities frustrated with crime and stigma in their areas where people are. Lit Label. Young people have problems. 
and there was always problems there mm-hmm. with young people. And I think when the drug issue es- escalated, that that was a huge thing for them, right? Mm-hmm. But I've always worked with young people, and I hate that word junkie. Oh, my God, okay. it rises me. hankers with those Joe, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the government needs to address this dysfunctional families, right? Mm-hmm. Put money into that. Address the young people, right? I always say to young people, believe in yourself, yeah, right? Yeah. Don't You know, you hear them saying, uh, across the park where I live is posh land. They're putting themselves down already. And I think the government needs to get real about the needs of the young people. Put more money into the youth project. I am involved in the youth project for over 20 Hmm. years. My Jesus, Joe, you have no idea to scraping together for programmes and trying to address the needs and mentor them of the young people. And and you'd have to account for every last penny that you got from the youth affairs and all. And I can see that woman is totally frustrated because she probably sees them getting arrested and they're out in the street the next day. But where the junior liaison officers and everything mm-hmm. that should be dealing with these young people and talking to them and all. There should be more outreach workers, trained outreach workers on the streets from the youth projects and all. And I think more people like I'm, you know, I'm thinking of Vicky McElligan, I'm thinking of Vera and all the other, mm-hmm. uh, Mary and all the other people like yourself. But you were locals and you weren't fooled. You weren't fooled by anybody. No, Which no, because we, we were on the ground, we saw yeah. what was happening, yeah. right? Yeah. That's Mary from the Live Line with Joe Duffy. And on today with Claire Byrne, dispelling all of those sleeping myths. Claire had a few questions for Professor Andrew Coogan in the morning. Can listening to music really help you to go to sleep? Or would a a glass of warm milk, would that help? Should you avoid exercise in the evening? And does everybody need around eight hours sleep? Professor Andrew Coogan, behavioural neuroscientist at the Department of Psychology in Maynooth University, is here now to bust the biggest (laughs) sleep myths. Andrew, you're very welcome. Would that song help you go to sleep? Uh, No. No, no, me either. (laughs) I agree with you there. But in general, watching TV, listening to music or certain types of music or TV programmes, would it help? The, the key seems to be sort of ritual and habit. You know, if if you have an established habit as part of your wind down routine um, and that study about music seemed to indicate it's really familiarity with the music rather than any specific characteristic of the music. So it wasn't like rock versus classical. <laughs> it was this is what you listen to all the time. It's really familiar. And that seemed that probably helps in the wind down and uh, and that facilitates then sleep onset. Is there any evidence that reading is better than listening to music? Um, I've never seen any evidence. And what we're talking about today is a really nice example of when we look for the evidence. And often there really isn't the evidence there one way or the other. So there's maybe sleep myths out there, but there's also sleep practices that actually we don't know a lot about the science behind it, whether it is a thing or not a thing. Uh-huh. But in general, we know routine, habit, ritual, that de-stress, that wind down, that sort of emptying our minds of thoughts, that really helps that sleep. Tells your body and your mind e- that you're, exactly, you're heading for exactly. sleep. The glass of warm milk then? Again, that's one that there's not a lot of scientific evidence on. The, the, so there's some... There was some idea that there might be some chemicals in milk, something like uh, tryptophan, which is an amino acid, which might be linked to 
how we make melatonin, which is this hormone that comes on during the night. But probably it's probably more just the relaxation, the ritual, the just just the habit of it. If that's what you do and that's what works for you, keep doing it. Now, some people find if they exercise in the evening, they're wired to the moon and cannot sleep. Yes, yeah, so, so that's that's a, that's a good question. So exercise. In general, exercise is very beneficial for sleep and probably across the board, doesn't matter so much when you exercise, it's more important to exercise. If you are an evening type, naturally, you may benefit more from exercise in the evening. But for most people, it's actually more important, both for our general health, but also for our physical health, that we exercise rather than worrying about when we exercise or not. Okay, um, and obviously you'll adjust that depending on whether it affects your ability to go to sleep or not. Let's take some listener questions now. Brian is 52 and has a physical job working outdoors. He works out three times a week and isn't overweight, goes to bed about half ten, sleeps for around ten minutes, wakes up again and stays awake for two to three hours before falling asleep again. I wake most mornings around 4am and I can't get back to sleep even though I shouldn't be up until six. Have you any advice? That sounds just so difficult. Yes, so that really sounds like um, he might be experiencing insomnia. Um, and he sounds like he might be experiencing two parts of insomnia. One, that difficulty in falling asleep and two, then the difficulty in staying asleep. I think the first port of call is always to talk to your GP. And I think there's two reasons for that. Sleep problems are sometimes linked with other physical or psychological health issues. Mm-hmm. They, they don't have to be, but sometimes they are. But also it's really important. I mean, sleep, even if bad sleep didn't cause anything else, it's misery. Who wants it? It's miserable. You know, yep. and your GP has your overall health picture. Mm-hmm. And and it's very difficult to look at the sleep issue in an individual without having that overall picture as well. OK, um, this is interesting because it comes from Mags, who's a shift worker. Yeah. So Mags works from half three in the morning until half 11 in the morning. She goes to bed at 2 p.m. then until 4 p.m. So that's a, a nap, I suppose. Yeah. And then goes to bed again at 11 p.m. until 3 a.m. So she's sleeping five hours over yeah. in the 24-hour period in two blocks. And she wants to know, is that OK? I mean, shift work is really difficult. There are a lot of shift workers out there. I mean, there may be a really good reason why uh, your listener has that that. Uh, that pattern. pattern, you know, might need to pick up kids from school. Yeah. Um, so, so it it's not ideal, but you know, shift workers really have to work with what they got. You know. Yeah, but it, I mean, it, it's just having a two-hour nap, and you know how you feel after you have yeah, a two-hour yeah. nap. Well, some of us anyway, you just feel awful, and then going back for another couple of hours later on, it's it's just not going. To, you're not going to feel good doing no, that. And and sleeping in the day in general, it's it's not as refreshing as sleeping in the night, we're not really designed to do that. Yeah. So so there's this whole range of challenges that shift workers face. And the short sleep is another problem. We know short shift workers overall experience a lot less mm-hmm. sleep over their week than non-shift workers, even when they're working in similar types of jobs with similar stresses. Okay. Um, it's, it's a nature of the beast question, unfortunately. And the floodgates opened from so many callers with sleep issues. 
Quite, quite a few people have been in touch saying that they find getting to sleep is no problem, but waking up then yeah. in the middle of the night and not being able to get back yeah. to sleep, that that is a, a big problem. Yeah, and, it, and again, this is one of the manifest, manifestations of insomnia that you can get to sleep, maybe have three or four hours sleep at the start of the night and then be wide awake. Um, again, probably your GP is is your first first port of call. If that's ongoing, everyone experiences that once in a once in a blue moon. You know, we all have nights when we can't sleep. But if it's if it's happening several times a week and has been going on for maybe a month or more, mm-hmm. then it's probably time to 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 take action about it. And it's really important. Sleep's really important. I think people feel oh, I don't want to be bothering my doctor with this. You know, it's But it affects know, everything if it, you're not getting a, a proper sleep. Everything. And it can be a real misery in and of itself. You know, mm. it's really important. Now, we, we ask you this a lot about the eight hours, <laughs> yeah. you know, the eight hours sleep. And I know it's not the same for everybody, yeah. but what's too little and what's too much? So, so probably the this, the the ceiling or uh, the, the, the bottom of the floor is probably five hours. Now, there are a small proportion of people out there who can have five hours sleep a night and be fine. There's a lot more people that are, get five hours sleep but that's not enough for them, like like your last correlate yes. with, with shift work. Uh, probably five hours. Now, sleeping too much, it's we don't we're not really sure if sleeping too much or sleeping long is actually a problem. Um, like if you need it, take it. If, and if, if you, you can, need to it, take it, and, and generally, if if yeah, exactly, and you know, lots of us have to sleep hard in that when we have free days from work, we have this catch up sleep and we sleep longer. And if you're sleeping longer, that's telling you your body, your body needs it. Mm -hmm. You know, don't try to force it. And there's very little evidence really to suggest that longer sleep is causative in harm. I I have read, though, uh, previously that at the weekends you should really go to bed at the same time as you do during the week and get up at the same time. Do you agree with the catch up sleep? I, I would say catch up sleep. And the example I would use is if you have a teenager in your house who's in secondary school and they might get up at 7 a.m., you know, half seven to get out on a school day. You know, I don't think anyone would argue that they should be getting up at 7 a.m. Yeah, but that's te- they, that teenagers, though, they're different, aren't they? Because of the developing brain well, and they might need a bit more. Well, they, they need a lot. They need a lot of sleep. Um, but generally, I think if you're catching up in sleep, that's a way of your body telling you that you need it. Now, ideally, we would like to have consistent sleep patterns as well. But I suspect the catch up sleep is more important than the consistency. OK, Ian and Cavan suggests uh, on YouTube ambient rain and thunder, which is very relaxing. <laughs> you see, that might be for you, Ian, but not for some the next person. Yeah. And, and again, sort of white noise generators, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially if you if you if you sleep in a sort of quiet environment where there's not a lot of environmental noise and therefore you, you hear anything, yes. you know, and introducing some, some noise that sort of blanks that out may be actually helpful. How long should you nap in the day if you feel tired? So, so generally sort of half an hour-ish is, is the recommendation. Gosh, so you'd so barely be gone to sleep, but you'd be getting back but, up but, again. But, but that's where the bang for your buck comes in. You know, and the longer you nap, the more what we term sleep inertia. You get that sort of grogginess when you wake up and you feel sort of slightly hungover. Yes. Yeah. Um, so sort of shorter naps, you get a lot of the benefit and you get less of the downside. Yeah. I have another listener here who says their husband falls asleep very quickly. 
then wakes up in the middle of the night, yeah. three or half three and can't get back to sleep. So he's increased his exercise, cut out caffeine after 2 p.m., doing all of the right things and, yeah. and nothing really working. Would you recommend doing those things if yeah, that is a problem for you, first you know, of all? So, you know, there's lots of reasons why you might wake up in the middle of the night. You might wake up to use the toilet. That becomes more frequent. Um, as we get older, you know, so you might want to cut out your cup of tea, your cup of coffee in the evening, uh, watch the amount of liquid you take. But but there are some cases like this where it's just an essential problem. So, yeah, they're the things to try first. But if the problem persists, again, it's really time to, to have a chat with the GP. <clears throat> I have a habit of snoozing, says this listener, you know, the, the snooze mm-hmm. button, resetting the alarm by 10 minutes and then I can get up anything up to an hour later. How bad is that for my sleep and how do I wean myself off the habit? I mean, if, if you if you don't have to get up to an hour later, why not just set your alarm an hour later? <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> so you, you're probably at that stage, you're dipping in and out of what we call transitional sleep. You know, so it's that sort of half wake, half sleep. And in our in the morning when we're coming into waking, we're usually in dream sleep um, and you flitting in and out of that. So if you can just just push out your alarm, if you can. Professor Andrew Coogan from Today with Claire Byrne. Now, Emma Moran is the creator of Disney's latest superhero comedy, which drops on Disney Plus this Wednesday, and it's called Extraordinary. And Ryan Tuberty caught up with Emma in London. To London. Emma Moran, good morning. Hi, how are you? How are you doing today? Uh, yeah, I'm all right. I'm freezing, but otherwise good. It's it's a cold one in London town. Do you like living in London? Um. Oh, it's kind of love-hate, I think. Yeah, I love the energy, but sort of the um, bigness of it all is a bit much sometimes. It can be beautiful uh, and buzzy, but lonely and anonymous all at the same time. Yeah, I'm I'm lucky to have some good friends here. Um, But otherwise, I think, yeah, you'd struggle. Where are you from originally? Uh, I'm from Kiladees and Fermanagh. Oh, excellent. And uh, you made your way over to London, and that's why we have you on the programme this morning, because you are responsible for this a new release on Disney Plus this Wednesday. It's called Extraordinary. I've seen the ads for it. It looks like a whole heap of fun. Tell us everything about it, Emma. Yeah, I mean, yeah, hopefully it is a lot of fun. Um, yeah, it's basically a comedy drama uh, and it's set in a world where everybody gets a, a superpower at 18. Uh, but our lead character, Jen, is coming up to 25 and it still hasn't come in yet. Um, so she's starting to panic. And it's basically her quest to you know, find what makes her special in this world where everybody else around her is literally special. And what, what did Disney say to you when, when you uh, when they approached you about the script and the idea? What was so attract, attractive to them? Um, I don't know. It's always out of my hands. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that tends to be like the producer stuff. I, I, I think they just like, I don't know, it was just kind of fresh and a bit kind of rude. Um, it's, I want to stress it's very much not a, a kid's Disney show. Good. So I think, yeah, they just like that sort of stupid energy to it. And uh, this is the the people behind Killing Eve, is that right? Are they respond are they are they producing it? Yeah, 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 they're the producers. Um so yeah, it's been really intimidating to to work with them, but they've been fantastic. So where where did it all come from? What the in terms of writing and comedy and get putting this all together as an idea? Yeah, well I mean I I I so my background's more in sort of live comedy, like sketch and stand up in London. Um but I really wanted to write sort of a traditional like flat share sitcom uh, that, you know, 
British and Irish people do so well. Um, but I just I, I was trying to write it and like it just it wasn't really saying anything. It wasn't clicking. But um, it was at the time when sort of superhero stuff was everywhere, mm. uh, and it still is to be honest. Um, so I just thought, ah, oh, why don't I combine, you know, the genre where everyone's a hero and the fastest and the best uh, with you know these characters that are to be nice, uh, a bit useless, yeah, good. and live in a bit of a grimy flat. So once those two things came together, it just sort of exploded. That sounds intriguing, I must say. And, and um, what did you watch when you were younger? Who was making you laugh? Oh, I mean, I was a massive Father Ted oh, fan. I remember right. sort of watching that, the DVD on Christmas morning at about 5am <laughs> uh, with the family. So yeah, Father Ted, British sitcoms like Spaced, like yeah. Mighty Boosh, all those kind of slightly odd, surreal ones. Okay, well then you're in the you're in the right territory for for that. And you got Siobhan McSweeney involved in this project as well from Derry Girls, which is which is uh, must be lovely for you. Yes, yeah, she's hilarious. Uh, I sort of did a little squeal when they told me she was cast <laughs> in it. I think she's sort of the the perfect sort of Irish mammy in it as well. Yeah. And uh, that's happening Wednesday on Disney Plus, isn't that right? That's that's uh, where we'll all be tuning in to see how it all goes. Um, before yeah. I, say, I say goodbye, I need to say hello to Mandy. Oh, yeah. She'll kill me if you don't. <laughs> she's your mother. And she's listening in this morning. And if I say hello to her, hello, Mandy, um, that means you don't have to, what, buy her a present now? Is that it? That's it done? Yeah, that's that's Christmas, birthday, everything's ordered for this year. So thank you very much. <laughs> Emma Moran from The Ryan Tuberty Show. And on the Ray Darcy Show, record-breaking runner Rashida Adeleke from Tala was chatting to Ray in the afternoon. Now, uh, not only did Rashida Adeleke break an Irish record in Albuquerque on Saturday night, she also ran the fastest indoor 200 metres in the world so far this year. And Rashida is on the line from Austin, Texas. Hello, Rashida. Hi, how are you? Good. Congratulations. Thank you so much. How does it feel? You know, I really couldn't believe it at first. I wasn't really expecting to open up with such a fast time. Yeah, it was just, just amazing for me. So you broke your own record and you broke the Irish record? Yeah, so I broke the national record and it's actually also faster than the outdoor record as well. So that gives me a lot of confidence. The which record? What's the other record? So the indoor record was initially 22.85, yes. which I set last year. Mm-hmm. And I ran 22.52 this year. And this is also faster than my outdoor record, which is 22.50. Uh-huh. Do you know when you're in the middle of that 200 metres that this is a particularly fast run or not? No. no. So, like, I, yeah, <laughs> I didn't know how fast it was going to be. So when I saw the time come up on the clock, I was like, oh, my God, like, no way. <laughs> I was so surprised. Yeah, because, you know, sometimes you see people ease off the last five metres or so. Yeah. Yeah. No, that wasn't going to be for yeah. you. Yeah. No, I just, you know, ran through the line and just was hoping for a fast time, good opener, but I didn't expect to run so fast because it's so early in the season. And um, I just came back from a little niggle that I had and I was out for three weeks. So I wasn't really sure what shape I was in. Yeah. And um, yeah, I was just really, really, really um, pleased with, you know, my performance. 22.52, 200 metres. That mm-hmm. is fast. Amazing. Um, <laughs> uh, you represented University of Texas and it was the yeah. uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Invitational. Did that make it extra special? Yeah, um, yeah I guess, because, you know, there's a bigger purpose 
um, when it comes down to it. So, and it was just doc, um, Dr. Martin Luther King Day here um, last week. So, you know, it was just important to be able to represent so much more than yourself. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a really good opportunity, yeah. And, and that was on your mind or not? No, not really. No. Um, no, because <laughs> I actually didn't know the name of the meet initially. But um, when our when our coach told us what I was, I was like, "Oh, that's really cool." So you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's 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 cool. But um, it wasn't on my mind while I was running. No, <laughs> no. But do you do you connect no. with Martin Luther King now that you know it? Um, yeah, because um, when they were having the parade at my school and stuff, you know. We didn't have it like we had, we had a, it was like a national holiday in the US here for Dr. Martin Luther King Day. And, you know, that was really important. We got to learn about it and we just kind of get to remember what he did for, mm. you know, everyone in the world. So, yeah. No, it, it's, it's really cool. Yeah. So, so as you say, what a start to the year. Uh, and I know this is early mm-hmm. in the season, but people are saying big things about you. You've put down a marker. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel? I suppose it is, you were saying you're recovering from a niggle and it is about staying healthy and not picking up an injury, mm-hmm. isn't it? Partly. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely, yeah. Um, it's funny because everything that, anytime I do get a niggle, it's not athletics related. So it's usually me playing a different sport or it's usually <laughs> me like up to no good. That's right. usually how I, you know. So yeah, I was um, jumping around playing basketball and stuff and then I, got hurt a little bit so um, no yeah um, I'm just happy to be back and mm. you know I hope you, I'm happy I didn't have like a huge effect on my season so. uh, I'd say the people in Tala Athletics Club are very proud of you oh yeah definitely you know I've been seeing a lot of love from them and really really appreciate it because that's really where it all started to be honest yeah so it's you're building up nicely uh, you were fourth or mm-hmm. fifth in the Europe 400 metres last year um, I suppose yeah. the aim the goal now is Paris 2024 Yeah that's the bigger picture definitely and um, we still have a couple of international competitions this year yeah. and which I'm you know, looking forward to and yeah the big goal is definitely Paris um, next year it's coming up really really quick so yeah I'm really excited So, so I'm just before I let you go um, uh, Rashida so it's 22.52 down from 22.8 to, like, it's, it's 0.3 of a second, you know. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's huge. Yeah, it's huge, but it's not, it's not. It's the blink of an eye. Uh, and yet, yeah, it's true. You're pairing tenths of seconds off. And, and how, mm-hmm. how do you do that? Is it, is it the way you hold your head, the way you pump your arms? Like, where are you working on in particular? Um, so... You know, I only started the 400 recently, so my coach wanted me to shift over to the 400. So I made that change this fall. So I started training for the 400. I wasn't doing as much sprint training. So I feel like that made me stronger, especially for the 200. Mm. Um, So now I can finish really well. And I also got stronger in the weight room. So I'm able to apply more force onto the track. So I'm, I'm able to have like quicker reactions when I get, when I step on the track and my strides are stronger, more forceful. Mm. So there's so many more, more that there's so many more aspects that go into my performance than just running on the track. You know, there's the weight room, my diet, my recovery, like so many, yeah. so many things. Um, a guy who'd read an awful lot of books on running told me once that 300 metres is the maximum that a human can do at sprint level. 
you know, that beyond that, mm. you're, you're forcing it. So the 400 metre sprint is the most difficult race that a yeah. man or woman no, can take yeah, part in. Yes, yeah. Yeah, it definitely hurts a lot, I won't lie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, yeah, because I feel because it's, you're essentially trying to go full out for 400 metres, which is very, very difficult. So by the end, by the time it comes to the last 50, it's just so much lactic build up in your legs and you're just trying to get to that line that when you're done, you just can't move. Well, I can't move anyways. Collapse. So, so that's where you see a lot of people lying on the ground after the, the, the 400 yeah, metres exactly, yeah. yeah. Rashida Adeleke from The Ray Darcy Show. And on today with Claire Byrne, the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services CAMS report. Journalist Barry Lenehan was looking at the findings. Unsafe, unacceptable risk to children, creaking at the seams. Those are just some of the terms used by the Mental Health Commission this morning in a report on the HSE's Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services, or CAMS. The report found significant deficits in the treatment of young people, including how over 100 mentally ill children were left without care by CAMS for up to two years. The Inspector of Mental Health Services now wants a review of the treatment of all child mental health patients across the country. The Thornishet, Micheál Martin, has described the findings as unacceptable and very concerning. We'll be speaking to the Minister for Mental Health, Mary Butler, a little bit later on. But first, RTE's Barry Lenehan has followed this issue closely and is here now. So, Barry, firstly, the significance of this report this morning. Yeah, it's almost a year to the day since the publication of the Maskey Review. And that HSC commissioned report largely focused on one junior doctor who predominantly worked for South Kerry Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services and it found how significant harm was caused to at least 46 children after they were prescribed dangerously excessive doses of medication by this doctor over a four year period from 2016 a doctor who also practised in private cosmetic medicine. Now in the autumn it emerged how this controversy also encompassed at least two other doctors who worked for North Kerry CAMS a different service between 2016 and 2020 and the Inspector of Mental Health Services Dr uh, Susan Finnerty and the Mental Health Commission they began investigating CAMS services nationally in the wake of the Kerry scandal and her report this morning indicates that the issues first identified in Kerry this time last year might actually be far more widespread than initially feared. And Dr Finnerty Finnerty outlines a litany of deficiencies and she ultimately concludes that CAMS is inefficient and unsafe but what specifically did she hone in on? She's only examined CAMS in five of the nine HSC regions known as CHOs. However, she felt necessary to publish an interim report due to her serious concerns and the risk to safety of vulnerable children and teenagers in four of those areas. Dr Finnerty has largely been looking at services in Munster and Leinster so far and of serious concern to her were how some children with mental health health difficulties were effectively forgotten by the HSE, left on heavy psychotropic medication without follow-up appointments or monitoring on the effects of those medications for up to two years in some cases. In one CAMS team alone, Claire Limerick and North Tipperary, 140 children were lost to follow-up. In another, the previous consultant psychiatrist had left without reallocating their caseload and the team were left trying to identify 
which of these children required follow-up. And the lost cases, they also included children on medication who reached their 18th birthday, becoming adults with no discharge or transition to adult services or advice about the medication. Now, the Commission said no reasonable explanations were provided for the lack of follow-up despite the serious risks posed to the health of children. And the HSE says this morning how it was contacted all the open cases highlighted by the Commission and in the case of the 140 there were no adverse impacts identified for any of the children involved and it also said uh, how the HSE commissioned a review in March 2022 which identified the 140 that this process examined all opened cases and then they told the Commission of that 140. So the monitoring of patients clearly a big issue here and what else did the Commission find about that, about the monitoring of patients or lack of? Yeah, it said Claire some teams were meticulous but it also says there was evidence that some CAMS teams weren't monitoring the administration of antipsychotic medication in accordance with international standards. There are no national standards. So children taking heavy drugs such as the powerful antipsychotic risperidone without common essential medical checks such as blood tests, weight checks, ECG monitoring and the Commission said it escalated these matters within the HSC when they were identified and overall there were five escalations of risks made to the HSC due to the risks to the well-being and safety of children. Now this report says one of the reasons why some or all of those cases might have fallen out of the system might have been because of poor record keeping in CAMS which was uncovered, uncovered by the inspector. So what can you tell us about that? Yeah, Dr Finnerty says that while it's hard to believe most of the CAMS services she examined don't have an IT system that manages appointments, schedules, rotas, maintains patient files. Internationally, in comparable countries, these systems up and running for many years, she says. And the report concludes how this is a basic requirement for all health services and it's difficult to see how improvements in the quality of CAMS can occur without such a system. Four of the five areas used paper-based files which were frequently disordered, some had loose pages, clinical notes also frequently illegible and at times incomplete. Okay, what else did this report find, Barry? Long waiting lists, lack of clinical governance and a lack of staff with high turnover and the Commission concluded how all these issues require a national response but no evidence of that happening, they said. Instead, Dr Finnerty notes how consultant psychiatrists from different areas are seeing children over the weekend or online with multiple consultant cover from teams which is confusing for staff and families alike. And the staffing issue, Barry, what specifically did the Commission say and identify around staffing? Most of the areas reviewed were operating with less than 50% staff. This had major consequences. One child, for instance, the report notes, was left waiting for four days in an emergency department until they could be assessed by a consultant psychiatrist. And patient files, they demonstrated a lack of key workers for children. 45% of young people's files demonstrated no discernible care plan. In three teams, up to three different consultants provided cover, causing confusion, while a number of areas had to resort, uh, as we alluded to there, to telepsychiatry, where consultants based elsewhere, including the Middle East, assessed patients over Zoom. While in one area, a consultant worked part-time, there was no consultant to cover their work when they were absent. And overall, the report notes how staff and CAMs were working beyond contracted hours, often without compensation, and the levels of stress and burnout were significant 
significant. Some staff inadequately supervised while some psychiatrists weren't trained to work with children. And Barry spoke about the first-hand accounts of children and parents dealing with the CAM service. Families spoke of their child deteriorating on waiting lists, of sourcing expense of a geographically distant private care. One family spoke to the Commission of spending €90 a week to see a private occupational therapist and driving a three-hour round trip to do so. And they spoke of early discharge before they thought their child was ready so another child could be taken off the long waiting list. And the Commission said the distress and frustration of families at all this, it cannot be overstated. where does this go and what happens next? Uh, so the Commission will publish a full report, a review of all nine CHOs and CAMs in those areas later this year, while an urgent clinical review has been ordered of all open cases and CAMs across the country. This involves checking for patients who have not been seen by the service for six months, with a particular focus on physical health checks for young people who have been on those heavy antipsychotic drugs. And the HSC says this review will start shortly It might be completed by May or June, it's believed. It's also expected that the HSE will announce the start of a deeper investigation of prescribing and diagnostic practices in North Kerry CAMS, perhaps later this week, amid concerns that concerns were first raised about the issue there in 2010. Okay, and we'll be hearing for the Minister with Responsibility for Mental Health, Mary Butler, later on the programme. But the HSE, what else have they been saying this morning? It says it accepts the findings of this report and that it's very clear significant work is needed to improve CAMS. It has also set up an information line for anyone who has a concern about a child currently in the service and that line is 1800 700 700. Reporter Barry Lenehan and later in the programme Claire spoke to Mary Butler, Minister of State at the Department of Health. So we're in this situation this morning where the problems were so serious in CAMS that the Mental Health Commission felt compelled to ring the alarm bell really with this interim report calling the service unsafe unacceptable and understaffed. In your view is this service, which is for vulnerable children, let's remind ourselves, is it fit for purpose? Following on from several meetings to discuss the Maskey report earlier in the year, um, which was 12 months ago, I asked the Mental Health Commission to expand the remit of their thematic report to take cognizance of the Maskey report, which had been published every year. The Mental Health Commission do a thematic report. You might remember last year it was in relation to mental health in prisons. And I was pleased to provide the necessary resources to the Mental Health Commission to enable this comprehensive view to take place because I was very concerned, like others, with what had transpired in Kerry South in relation to the findings of the Maskey report. And so what we have at the moment, Claire, is we have the Mental Health Commission um, doing a full review of CAMS and in parallel we have the HSE doing a full audit of CAMS as well. So you've gone from being very concerned when you heard about South Kerry to what today? Well, obviously, we have seen today that there are significant deficits and and we have seen the findings are very, very concerning and they raise significant risks. And that is why we have had ongoing extensive engagement between my department, the HSE and the Commission regarding the findings of the interim report. Um, And this continues to take place. Okay, so going back to my first question, is the service fit for purpose? Well, Claire... There's not a straightforward answer to that. And what I would like to say is today there are 73 CAMS teams, the length and breadth of the country. 20,000 children throughout Ireland are receiving supports from CAMS. 
There's 225,000 appointments on a yearly basis. And in fairness to the report, it did say that CAM staff work extremely hard to try to provide a good CAM service. We are aware many young people and their families have received excellent care and treatment and many teams were innovative in trying to mitigate the risk posed yeah, by and, the lack and, of staff. And Damien so McCallion said all that this morning on he, Morning Ireland from he, the HSE. But whose side are you on? Because the report says that the HSE is responsible for a lack of governance in many areas. Claire, this so, is so, not so, about so, sides. This but, is but, about but sorry, providing a really good... The, they, a really you, good sorry, you represent the people here. And the HSE have let this slide so that this is now, as Shane Phelan puts it in the Irish Independent, a national crisis, a national scandal. Children with mental health issues are being routinely failed. So Claire, again, I'll go back to the point that this is not about sides and I don't want to scaremonger, right? Notwithstanding the significant risks that I have read in this report um, several times since I received it a couple of weeks ago and I met with the Mental Health Commission as well. But the point I'm saying today is there were 20,000 children throughout the Lent and Brett of Ireland receiving supports. Some of them are sitting in waiting rooms now, maybe listening to this recording. And I just think it's very, very important that we put a little bit of balance on it. When the risks were escalated to the HSE before Christmas. Each and every one of them were acted on. However, I am still very, very concerned in relation to governance. I'm still very concerned in relation to the fact that there is not an IT system, a comprehensive IT system in place. It's only in one of the five CHOs that were were, um, audited recently. But we still have to continue to provide a good service to young people who need it. Two percent of children... That can't happen. If you have... 50% fewer staff than you need and there's no specific budget and you have files with loose pages, disordered, incomplete, no logic. How can a good service be provided? There is a specific budget for CAMS. 125 million has been provided this year for CAMS. As I said, we have 73 teams. We will have a further 74 team coming into Wexford um, during the year. So we're constantly trying to build. But Claire, I am really, really concerned about the findings in the report and I want to thank Dr Susan Finn But the reason why I instigated both and asked the CAMS team to expand, asked the the Mental Health Commission to expand the remit and the reason why I asked the mental, um, the HSE to put in place reports was to give us the real time data so we can act. We've never had this real time data before. We've never had this type of an audit or a review. And what I will be doing is we will have um, a comprehensive um, review from um, the Mental Health Commission, which will be finished very, very soon. And we will also have all the data from the independent um the independent evaluation overseen by Dr Colette Halpin from the HSE. And then we will have to sit down and decide what's the best way forward to make sure that children receive the correct supports they need when they're in the care of child and adolescent mental health mm-hmm. services. Minister of State at the Department of Health, Mary Butler from today with Claire Byrne. And on the Ryan Tuberty Show, it was goodbye to Leah O'Rourke and John Nolan on Dancing with the Stars. Dancing with the Stars on RTE Radio 1. Sponsored by Muller Corner. Mullerlicious. Now, John Nolan, that's not a sound you're going to be uh, worrying too much about in the next number of weeks. That's not very nice, Excuse me. That's not a sound that's going to fill you with fear every week anymore. Do you know what? No matter how many seasons you do, that... That result sequence is the most fearful thing you do it, in your life. It, it looks like that like music. It. Dum, dum, it literally, your heart is 
coming out through your chest. It's uh, awful. Uh, John Nolan and Leo O'Rourke, uh, welcome to the programme and thanks for being here. Uh, the first uh, to be eliminated from Dancing with the Stars 2023. How are you doing, Leah? Yeah, I'm doing good. Uh I had great fun last night. We all went out afterwards. Uh, I'm feeling good today. Yeah. Yeah, you were. So when when they announced that your your name, did you what 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 goes through your head? And, and I kind of had an idea. It might be John and I because we were bottom of the leaderboard. I knew I wasn't a dancer, um. So I had like my goodbye speech prepared, but still, <laughs> when they call your name, you're literally like, ah. Uh, yeah. Um. So when they called the name, I was like. I need five minutes to think, like, there was no time to think, so, yeah. um, but, uh, yeah, like, you, even though you know, there's always a weak glimmer of hope, you know, um, <laughs> so, yeah, some yeah. of the um, crew were saying, you know, in all the seasons, no one who's bottom of the leaderboard has gone first, so there was loads of different opinions and stuff, so your head was a bit all over the place, but uh, when we were down the final three, I was like, oh, the bottom three, I was like, oh, I don't know, no, you, you had, uh, a had a feeling, um, had a feeling, but Shane was there as well, I was like, maybe it was Shane, I, just, <laughs> I he didn't know, you were like, you were oh, wishing, but, you were wishing, yeah, I like, Shane I love was, Shane, but I was like, maybe it might be Shane, I was yeah. like, ah, oh, yeah. please, you yeah. know, so, but yeah. There were a few runners and riders maybe for the for yeah. for the first yeah, yeah. ejection. I don't think it was obviously you guys, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Oh, I, thank you. You're welcome. We thank you very much. Yeah. We'll take that. Take yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You had to do a lot of that. You yeah. Know, I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that for. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or something. Something was half. Like Brian was the master of the the non-plumments, wasn't he? You know? Yeah. He was nice last night, which which was brilliant. Like. The, all the judges were lovely and we had great crack at the dance floor so it was a nice vibe and for some reason like see with the elimination and the heartbeat thing and all the heart yeah. drum thing yeah. it was less scary for me then I think the most nerve wracking thing for me was the dance and yeah. I was standing out there I wasn't too bad which right. is good like yeah. you you um I, I it, it, in my ignorance I thought because you're you're such a wonderful actress and actor in uh, Derry Girls and, and, and what have mm-hmm. you I presumed when you can act, you can dance. Yeah. You know, I presume people said that too. All yeah. singing, all dancing, yeah. all acting. No, yeah. you know, they don't necessarily go as a partnership. That's no, that is so true. And in my drama school, there was a street acting course, there was a musical theatre course. I was on the street acting course. I had loads of friends that could dance and stuff. Yeah. Um. So, no, they don't always go hand in hand. And uh, from my role in Dairy Guards, it worked very well, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> it was exactly. in my favour there. Uh, yeah. But not so much on a dancing contest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So now that she's made her exit, Ryan asked Leah about her fellow contestants. Now that you're 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 free, yeah. shall we say? Now that you've been liberated from the liberated. shackles of 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 the the of Brian Redmond, mm-hmm. basically, <laughs> yeah, and all the uh, the weekly the, the weekly, weekly beatings yes. from Brian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, let's have a little look and uh, at at what happened last night with the, some of the dancers. You can feel free now. You can have. You can just... Uh, oh, I will slate them all now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all I'll never see them again. <laughs> okay, so Suzanne Jackson and Michael, she, she God help her, I, my, my heart went out oh, to her. It really did. That happened, that, there for the grace of God go any of us where you forget yeah. your it moves. It was so tough. Like, it was. When you, if you had seen her dress rehearsal, it was Amazing. A1. Yeah. Like, it was A1. It was so sad to What see. do you think happened, John? You've I, seen this happen yeah, millions of times, of course. Yeah, I think she literally, as she said herself, she just got into her head, was overthinking, Thinking, thinking too hard sometimes you can actually overtrain which is uh, I know it outrageous to say but like no. sometimes you, you try to be too perfect and it just doesn't work out and unfortunately it was that case for Susan uh, well like, look at the, she got a lot of sympathy and kind of a lot yeah. of support then to, yeah. to get her through yeah. Leah O'Rourke and John Nolan from Dancing with the Stars on the Ryan Tuberty Show 
And on Today with Claire Byrne, an eye to our neighbours in the UK. In Britain, questions over the tax affairs of the former Chancellor Nadim Zahawi continue in a statement released on Saturday. The now Tory party chair said revenue concluded his tax errors were careless and not deliberate after it emerged he'd agreed to pay millions to the tax agency in December. Now in the last hour it has been reported that the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has asked his new ethics advisor to investigate Zahawi's tax settlement with revenue and customs and with the very latest I'm joined on the line now by Kevin Maguire Associate Editor with the Daily Mirror. Good morning Kevin. Uh, good morning. So we have a statement, do we, from uh, Zahawi on, in response to the Prime Minister's announcement about an inquiry. What's he saying? We, we do. The Prime Minister said integrity and accountability are important, which is why he's asked for uh, an, an inquiry by his ethics advisor, his new ethics advisor, Sir Laurie Magnus, who's a, an old Etonian establishment banker just recently appointed, while uh, Nadim Zawari, uh, now the chair of the Conservative Party, has issued his own statement saying he uh, has uh, nothing, to, uh, nothing to hide, that he's behaved... Uh, He's acted properly throughout uh, and has welcomed the inquiry. But it's a, it's a gathering um, storm here because it's come out in dribs and drabs. Yes. And I, I just, I, last I, Wednesday, the Prime Minister said, oh, it's all been dealt with, everything's clear. Now mm-hmm. he's now the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, is saying there are ans- uh, questions to answer. Yeah, he's saying that on the one hand, but on the other hand, he was I see he was talking to reporters this morning, the Prime Minister, and continued to back Zahawi in his current role as chairman of the party, despite over the weekend, so many people, I know there were plenty of opposition people in this camp, but also some Tory MPs saying his position just isn't tenable. No, you're right. You would expect Labour and the other political parties, Liberal Democrats, SNP, to pile in. Sometimes the, the, these questions, these attacks can be uh, legitimate. Other times they, of course, are just uh, party political. But there's a lot of unease in the Conservative Party. And Ian Duncan Smith, former leader of the Tory party and a one-time cabinet minister, uh, said he, he believes uh, Nadim Zawi will have acted well because he is his friend. But he needed to be more transparent and get all the facts out there because it, uh, there's, there's a whiff around it because of the amount of money involved, believed to be more than £5 million, including uh, a penalty thought to be 30% from the HMRC, which it appears, and it's come out in dribs and drabs, is that when he was appointed uh, Chancellor, Nadim Zawari was in negotiations with the HMRC that he, he was in political control of as an extraordinary position. Absolutely. Now, you, you said there was a whiff around it. There's a whiff around something else as well. This is the now chairman of the BBC allegedly helping Boris Johnson to secure a loan guarantee. Up to £800,000 was his um, reported credit facility. And this happened weeks before the Prime Minister at the time, Boris Johnson, recommended this man for the job of BBC chairman. This is according to a report in the Sunday Times. What's happening with this story? Yeah, you couldn't really make it off, could you, actually? And there are there are protestations of innocence all round again. But it is absolutely extraordinary that uh, Richard Sharp, now the BBC chair, actually admits he did discuss uh, a loan guarantee of £800,000 for the Prime Minister before he was appointed. And uh, says the cabinet secretary, Simon Case, uh, after his appointment, uh, basically said he shouldn't get involved in the prime minister's financial affairs again. But mm-hmm. he he was in talks with a distant co- cousin in, in Canada of uh, 
of Johnson, uh, a guy called Sam Blythe, who's very, uh, very wealthy, in arranging this cash for the for the Prime Minister. Now, it is utterly extraordinary. When Boris Johnson's spokesperson was uh, uh, asked about it, he said, who cares? A kind of nonchalant shrug of the soldiers, <laughs> well, shoulders. Nothing, nothing to see here. You might care if you were working at the BBC today. I mean, what is the future of Richard Sharp as chairman of, of the BBC? I, I would have thought it's precarious. He's digging, he's digging in, and of course he's also again said, "Look, uh, uh, there was no conflict of interest. All he did was simply connect uh, m- uh, Mr. Bly, the uh, the very wealthy businessman who was going to underwrite the uh, the overdraft for for Johnson with the cabinet secretary Simon Case. Of course, as anybody could do, uh, <laughs> it is. It's almost there's a there's a it's like people people at the top in a in a small circle." are behaving in a way which they think is completely normal. Uh, but to everybody else on the outside, it looks rather privileged and full of, uh, full of entitlement. Kevin Maguire from Today with Claire Byrne. And on the Radar C Show, some sounds from technology's past. Yeah, this is a thing doing the rounds on TikTok. It's, it's nostalgic sounds from the 80s and 90s. See if you can identify them. What is this sound? Ah. <laughs> That's Windows warming up. Thanks very much. Uh, this one. Oh, I remember, remember that. You know that there was a text coming through. Uh, the phone interference, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And this. What strikes me about all of that, because that's the, you know, getting a, a dial up on the internet back in the day. Uh, and we sat there and we waited and we thought it was amazing. But very quickly, we became very impatient. And now with this huge computer in our pockets, huge in its capabilities as opposed to its size, we get very impatient if we can't get online. Uh, very impatient if we put in something and it doesn't reveal the answer immediately. Uh, and that's the way it's happened. It's, I suppose it's the human condition really, isn't it? Uh, that you want something, you get it, and then you want something else. And you want something to be faster. And when it is faster, it's not good enough. You want it even faster. And so on and so on. And that's what it is to be human. Around the Ray Darcy Show. And that's it for Playback Daily. So mind yourself till next time. <laughs>